Hey out there, Sabres fans, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Sabre Talk podcast. This is Mark Ice. Josh Eppinger. And uh, we're going to be going over the previous two Sabres wins. So the Tuesday night, 5-4 to four victory over the Ottawa Senators, and then the 4-3 to three win uh, tonight over the New York Rangers at home. A Sabres fans got to be pretty happy about these two games too, Mark. Oh, definitely, definitely. After really the the anemic scoring, the anemic offense thus far, and then being able to come out and win, which is the most important thing. When you know sitting where they were, I saw they had about a four percent chance of making the playoffs that game before Eichel came back, um, and then now they've won two straight and they're right back in the thick of things. But not just winning, but scoring goals like they have. We haven't seen an outburst like this all year, um, so. This recap's probably going to be a little bit longer than our last couple episodes because I have a few more goals to discuss. But um, in the Ottawa game, they ended up holding on at the end. Uh, Oposo scored, Eichel scored, um, O'Reilly had two, and then Sam Reinhart had one. So uh, Ryan O'Reilly finished with three points on the night. Rasmus Ristolainen also had two assists. Uh, and then in the... In the Rangers game, uh, Johan Larson scored on a very soft goal. The Sabres got a couple bounces in this one, which has seemed rare for this team all year. Uh, and then Brian Gianta got one on a great shift, uh, a great setup by Marcus Foligno at the end of a shift where they had hemmed the Rangers into their own zone. And then Jack Eichel took over the game, scored two goals in the third period. He really opened it up and got them going in that Ottawa game, getting a goal and an assist in the first 10 minutes. Um, and then in this game, he took over at the end and was able to tie up the game and put them up late to to win the game. So winning against two two teams that are top four in the Eastern Conference, this is a really big deal. This is a big week for the Sabres. I know there's still 60 games to go or 59 games to go now, but this is really important to just kind of set the tone for the rest of the season. So, Josh, we're going to have you open it up, and uh, and we'll go wherever you want to take us. All right, well, um, we'll start with uh... – Ottawa game, Eichel came back, uh, making his debut for the 2016-2017 season, going against a good goalie, too, uh, actually really hot as of late uh, before the Sabres game, is uh, Craig Anderson, playing lights out so far this year, and uh, Ottawa with a stellar defense, I was really worried about uh, what what the Sabres could do against Ottawa, but... The trickle-down effect, so you Dan Bilesman wants to call it, came into play when Jack Eichel came back, moving guys down the roster and giving guys more time to rest their legs and open up, opening up ice with just what Jack Eichel brings, which is speed and skill to the game. Uh, re- really refreshing seeing him come back and getting getting a goal uh, right in the first period off a one-timer pass from uh, Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh Eichel, Eichel made this power play look a lot better in both games. I think uh, could, the power play looked crisp. It looked like an actual NHL winning team power play, which is refreshing. Because even though the Sabers have had their um, good opportunities in the power play and pretty good numbers without Eichel, it just looks like a more professional team playing out there. Um. And that's just what uh, Eichel brings to this game. Uh, I'm just so happy to have him back. Uh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I, 
I think the marketing team must have had Dan Bilesma and all the players come into their office and try to push that trickle down theory, you know, over and over again. How many times did you hear different people saying that in the organization? It was players and coaches, fans, everyone. Was yeah, saying it. yeah. I know it, it got hammered in everyone. I didn't want to start I mean, I think off it, with it. Either. I think it is a. <laughs> I think it is a good way to describe what happened. Unfortunately, we're going to jump on the bandwagon and use the same terminology. But um, him coming back, it allows everybody to fall into the roles where they're best suited. Now it allows you to have that that Felino, Larson, Gianta line really be the third line defensive zone start type of line that they're meant to be, rather than trying to rely on them as being a second line in a lot of situations. So you allow them to kind of slot into where they uh, where they're best fit. Um, it allows you to separate your best offensive players. So it allows you to have Reinhardt play with Eichel and Oposo with O'Reilly. And really with those two pairs, you're bound to have two quality scoring lines. So having Eichel back does make everything more balanced. I, I just thought it was funny how much they pushed that. And like you said, the, the power play, I think, is what we probably should be most excited about with Eichel being back. Just looking at that top power play unit now, that's up there among the best top power play units in the league. There aren't many teams, I think, that can match that type of firepower on that unit. And you got, you know, you have Ristolainen, Eichel, Reinhardt, O'Reilly, Oposo. That's that that's up there in the higher echelon of every power play unit in the league. And now you have Matt Molson able to slot in on the second unit, and he was doing very well on the first unit previously. But now you hope he's going to be able to bring some consistency to that second unit. So it was really promising overall. And I think we should talk a little bit about just Eichel's impact in terms of the team, I think having confidence and he's an alpha dog. Yeah. He really is. And there aren't a lot of guys in the league and we haven't seen a lot of guys in a Buffalo Sabres uniform that have that type of alpha dog mentality, but that's what he is considering he's still one of the youngest players on this team. In fact, is yeah, I, I think he's the youngest. The young, yeah. He is the young, he is the youngest player on this team, and they gravitate toward him. And he just has that kind of aura about him that age you can't really learn with age. You have it or you don't. And he has yeah, look. It. I mean, look at these guys. Uh, look at the guys and how hard they're playing since he got back. I mean, it's affected this entire team. It's uh, it's pretty amazing to see this twenty uh, year old kid come come in and play. And here here he is. Buckle up, cause we're ready to go play hockey again. That's that's what uh, that's what I'm getting from this team. Not that they weren't trying before, but I mean, it just just him being on the ice and being at practice, it just makes this team this team. And you know, this is uh definitely Jack Eichel's team. You know, it is. And we uh, I think we may have erroneously said in one of our previous episodes we were talking about how. You can't really make an argument for somebody else other than Ryan O'Reilly being the next captain of this team. Seeing how this team responded to Jack Eichel coming back, you can make a pretty good argument that Eichel should be the captain. And I think he is he is more outspoken in terms of communicating with the media, and I'm sure he's he's probably more outspoken in the room too. Yeah. So I think you can make a very good argument for him as well. And that's just from the last two games, seeing how guys responded to him. He he's a true leader. I've uh you know, watching even in the World Juniors, everyone was saying the guy that was doing the most talking in the locker room a bunch of with a bunch of twenty three year old kids, you know, playing at the highest level really. Uh Jack Eichel's the guy talking to everyone, trying to set things up doing talking on the bench talking in the locker room and uh 
that was refreshing to hear that back then. But, you know, just to see him now and, you know, we gave him a year of him just being one of the guys. I think you said that last uh, last podcast, Mark. You know, he tried to ease his way in. He didn't want to just be the young kid taking over everything. But, man, he really he, he is. He is that kid, you know. he, he He's a fresh breath of air in a Buffalo hockey team that hasn't been good in about 10 years. So Definitely, and that's what picking high in the draft will do for you, and that's why the tank really was important. Sabres fans, we know it very well, but we were mired in mediocrity for so long because we were never in a position to be able to get one of those studs high up in the draft. And how do how are teams good for a long time? In almost every case, it's because they picked at the top of the draft at least once or twice, if not three or four times. So finally, the Sabres were able to go out and get their stud at the top of the draft and no longer were having to rely on, I know we talked about it in another podcast, but the likes of Derek Roy and Tim Connolly as your, as your top centers over the long term. And you're never going to win that way in the NHL. So yeah. And, and you know, picking t- tip your hat to Tim Murray too, because he made trades, uh, you know, you can debate the Evander Kane trade, but bringing in Ryan O'Reilly is huge for this team too. Uh, he, you know, every time O'Reilly makes a play, I say to myself, this is my favorite player to watch. And I'm like, Oh yeah, Jack Eichel's on this team too. So, you know, between those two guys, I, I just love watching hockey compared to the last eight years. You know, it's, those guys really, I mean, I admire Riley because my game style fits more of, when I played, fits more of his characteristics than it does Eichel. Uh, you know, making uh, the quick, easy play, being responsible in all aspects of the game. Yeah, I might have not been responsible when I was taking 108 penalty minutes once in one year, but, uh, you know, that's behind me. But, you know, this guy can play every single every single aspect of the game, and O'Reilly he just never stops. How many times do you see him lift someone's stick when they're trying to get out of the zone and saving the saving it uh, the puck in the zone for the Sabers? And you know, Kyle Oposo is very similar with him. I love watching those two guys together. But I'm sorry, this is about Jack. No, no, it's okay. I mean, we really should be talking about everybody because it's not just about. Michael, but I agree with you about O'Reilly, and that's a, a trade I think we've got to heap a ton of praise onto Murray for. There are plenty of other things to criticize him for, uh, but I think the the people we should we should actually praise the most are the Buffalo Sabres fans and the fan base for being willing to suffer through two horrible years. I mean, two really historically bad teams to be able to come out with Sam Reinhardt and Jack Eichel. But Sabres fans were willing to do that because they understood what it means to pick at the top of the draft. And they understood what mediocrity is. And that's where where they were mired. And if they hadn't made the moves that they did, really cleaning house, trading, trading all the veterans, getting a bunch of draft picks, and being able to pick at the top of the draft, we wouldn't be where we are today. So I think without that in place, other, other franchises couldn't do what the Sabres did. They wouldn't have made it attendance wise yeah you know they would have lost so much money that ownership wouldn't have been willing to do what the Sabres did but the fans continued to come out and were you know at least kept the team in a decent financial position and of course having Terry Pagula one of the richest owners in pro sports enabled you to take losses that maybe other teams wouldn't be willing to but 
I think Sabres fans do deserve a lot of credit, and we deserve this excitement that, that Eichel's bringing. Yeah, and there are, you know, and think about another team right now is a, a team that I feel like a lot of Sabres fans in our age group really hate is the Hurricanes, and they're talking about selling the team wherever to anyone, and wherever they want to go, they can take the team. I read uh, something about that the other day. But back on to Jack, on that and the Ottawa game uh, on the first power play unit where it took eight seconds to score. How nice was it? And I think it was one of the first times I saw it this year that uh, cross uh, side pass to to um, who to was, was it the Reinhardt or Poso or O'Reilly? I think it was to Oposo. He uh, slid the puck and then Oposo um, um, Oposo. No, he scored the goal. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I think it was to Reinhardt. Is that the player you're talking about is from the, the right point yeah. back door yeah. on the, to the left side, yeah. so cross ice. And this is the first yeah, time that you done. saw someone hit a zone and uh, feed the puck that way. I haven't seen the Sabres doing a power play yet this year, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's a that's a tough pass, but I think you need to do it to keep the to keep the penalty kill honest. And I love that play too. And really Eichel should have had another assist on that play. I think I I am pretty sure that was Reinhardt on that play because I think I know the exact one that you're talking about. I think Oposo went to pass it to Reinhardt and uh the puck went in the net. Yeah. yeah. Um kind of similar to the game winning Golden Knight when Jack went to slide to Vander Kane and went off Zuccarello skate the win the game for us ultimately today yeah yeah um so yeah that was that was great to see this power play unit's going to be a lot of fun to watch and they, and they were above average prior to eichel coming back so now having him coming back and being able to throw out that first power play unit really the sky's the limit for this power play and if they can just score at a better rate even strength if they can even be average at even strength this is going to be an above average offensive team which it's hard to imagine just a few games ago being able to say that, that this team actually could be above average offensively. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Um, uh, Talking about Eichel again, too, because I can't just stop thinking about the kid. Um, 17 minutes and 8 seconds total for the first game against Ottawa. Um, Six shots, 50% on the draw um, in the first period for him, too. and then tonight, Eichel skated for 19 minutes and 57 seconds with two goals, 12 and 12 shots, and finished with a plus one. Uh, pretty, pretty, you know, get get a few more minutes out there tonight, and he he just looks strong. Yeah, and I got a little worried when he got stood up by uh, trying to dangle the dangle the red the Rangers uh, defenseman there and. He was kind of slow to get up, but you know he gets right back up, gets the puck on the boards, and draws a penalty for on um who was it? Uh, kid from Niagara Falls. There, I can't remember his name. Uh, Adam Clendenny. Yes. Um, draws a penalty on him and ties the game up. <laughs> you know, with a from a great pass from Kyle Poso, and the Sabres score on the rush for maybe the first time this year. Uh. I can't exactly remember, but I'll tell you what, we talked about last podcast, not being able to generate chances on the rush has been a problem with this team, and seeing Eichel go uh, far side on King Hendrick, so they call him, uh, was pretty awesome seeing him score on the rush. 
Definitely. That was huge. And yeah, like you said, we had talked about that. If this team wants to be good offensively and they don't want to be fighting in these one to nothing, two to one type games all year, they need to score on the rush. And Eichel was able to make that play when it mattered on a world-class goaltender. Um, And that's just pure skill. That's speed. And that's being able to hit a spot. That's being able to snipe and hit a spot. Uh, And that's what he brings to the table is really pure talent. And he really does have it all. And there's not really a replacement for that. You can't replace a player like Jack Eichel. Uh, so I think that's what he was able to bring back. And hopefully they're, they continue to be able to be productive on the rush because it, it is going to be an important part of this offense, especially at even strength. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can I ask you a question there, Mark? Of course. Um, one player that I think has been playing good, and we've touched on him before, but in the last two games especially, he did have a – bad pass today that led to a scoring chance for the Rangers today but uh Tyler Fredoon he keeps on impressing me and him and Falk the pairing's been pretty good in my mind for a third uh defenseman pairing just guys you calling up from the AHL is it is it time to think that maybe Fredoon uh could be our the seventh defenseman on this team I think right now I would expect Fedun to be the seventh defenseman when everybody's back healthy. Uh, I think what they've done, they've Bilesma's been able to put Fadoon and Falk, put that pairing in, in relatively easy situations, put him in situations where it's easier for them to look good. And then they really have leaned on now McCabe and Ristolainen being together. They've really leaned on that pairing in every difficult situation possible. Uh, but for Fadoon and Falk to even be adequate in that easy role, in that easier role, less pressure role, is more than I probably would have expected. You know, having them being your number eight and number nine defensemen and having to be in the lineup together, you know, playing together over this period of time, I'm I'm happy with, with what they've gotten out of him or out of out of them. And Fadoon, I don't think he's gonna be a special NHL player over the long term, but I do think he's probably the seventh best defenseman in this organization. And he can bring a few things to the table that are somewhat scarce in terms of puck moving and being able to get his shot low and on net. I think those are those are things that this team needs. So having him up would be far preferable to Casey Nelson. We talked about him on prior podcasts, how much he struggled. He needs time. Um, and then Falk has been serviceable, but he doesn't really bring any high-level skill to the table. No, no. But uh... – it's it's nice seeing these guys perform and uh, not not getting killed. It's uh it's it's good. Um, I think we should probably talk about. I don't know if you if you want to discuss this a little bit, but uh, the Jake McCabe Ristolainen yes. pairing, and specifically, I thought McCabe was fantastic tonight. Oh, lights out, lights out, and he, he and you see him joining. You see him playing more of an offensive role too, and coming up and players knowing when to stay back too it's uh it's been it's been good it's been a good few games for uh jake mccabe there and something that me and you have talked about is wanting to see him with ristolainen uh that looks like it's gonna be a very good thing and josh george is not eating up minutes is gonna be a very good thing too when this team gets healthy uh i'm really looking forward to that uh i blame i don't know it was the second goal for the second power play goal for uh, the Rangers tonight. 
when uh, George just let his guy just own him in front of the net and then basically added an extra guy on the screen in front of Nilsson on the on the McDonough goal, which was actually his first of the year. Yeah, yeah, and... Georges, he he gets into that mode where he starts running around in the defensive zone, and I think him losing his skating ability a little bit, he seems to be a step late so often getting to his guy and tying up his guy. And Nielsen especially started this game, was giving up rebounds, you know, wasn't wasn't controlling him as well as we've seen from him most of this year. And if you're a step late tying a guy up or a split second late tying somebody up, that that really makes the difference in the NHL game. So, Georges, they had to play him 21 minutes again tonight. Yeah. He and he and Franson both played 21 minutes, uh, and that was kind of a function of what we just talked about, Fadun and Falk really being put in fairly easy situations, and they only played about 12 minutes apiece. Uh, so it's going to be great when they don't have to lean on Georges and Franson any any longer. But there's not really another option at this yeah. point. Yeah. I think Franson played pretty well, actually, tonight, though. Uh, I thought he was definitely the stronger guy on the pairing with uh, Georges tonight. Definitely. I think he's exceeded my expectations this year. I don't I don't know what your assessment of him is, but so having having Cody Franson as your number six defenseman, you can do a whole lot worse than that. And I know that he's slow, and he's not the most pleasing guy to watch aesthetically, but... As a number six defenseman, not many teams are doing better than Cody Francis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also heard uh, Murray in an interview earlier today saying that Kulikov is looking pretty close, which is exciting. That would be fantastic. Yeah, then you're able to move Georges down. You probably put Kulikov next to Franson. Um, and I, I, I want to see McCabe and Ristolainen together long term. I know that we talked about that. I don't know if it was the last podcast or two ago. Uh, but I think those two are the natural long-term pairing, and to be able to lean on it, to be able to lean on one of your pairing for 25, 26 minutes a night is huge. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I I'm really excited about it. I think McKay brings his style of play is uh, going to complement Ristolainen, and the more they play together, the more they're going to be used to knowing where each other are. You know, they're fairly new to with playing each other. They've done it before, but. Once they really get set in together, I think it could be a first pairing for a long time for this Sabres team. Definitely, yeah. And I think it's going to be, it's going to figure out when, or it's going to be all about figuring out when one is attacking and the other needs to step back. Because I like for both of them to be thinking attack first. Yeah. And a lot of times you think you don't want two of those guys playing together on the same pairing, but they've made it work. It's really about knowing your partner and knowing when is the other going to attack, and that's when I need to stay back. So I think I think those two can complement each other. I think at the beginning of the year when we were thinking about who should play with who on this defense, a lot more people thought Kulikov and Ristolainen would be the natural pairing, and Guilty then have McCabe, have McCabe with Bogosian again. But I think McCabe and Ristolainen are looking like the better fit together and then having Kulikov next to Bogosian, and Kulikov plays it a little safer and let Bogosian be able to roam a little bit, Yeah, uh, I think is the is the best makeup of this top four. Yeah, and I think it's a pretty good top four, too. I think uh, they'll be able to play pretty much all teams in the NHL. I mean, you got you got the, you still got your Tampa Bays and your Pittsburghs and um, Washingtons, but... 
still, I think these guys are ready to play, and I can't wait to see the the Bogosian and Kulikov back. Definitely. Well, well, McCabe looking like a number two or number three, like he has for most of this year thus far. That does four. make this a yeah. this does make this a good a, a pretty decent top four. And I don't think many people would have expected McCabe to jump quite to that level. I think people would have been happy with him just looking like a competent top four defenseman consistently. But he's exceeded, I think, just about anybody's expectations out there. So and that that definitely makes me excited too for when Kulikov and Bogosian get. How back. much is uh that credit to? Uh... Bilesma and uh, you know the management team there too, uh, letting Pizik go, right-handed guy, giving the deal to McCabe, and uh, McCabe taking advantage of getting more ice time with a depleted roster. He's still in your top four, but I think he's taking he's he's took his strides and he's really taking advantage of the time he's getting at the beginning of this season. Yeah, I. I really give the credit to McCabe because I think with or without Mark Pesic, you look at from day one last year, McCabe was relied on as a top four defenseman as his team. And he was not ready for it at the beginning of last year. They really threw him to the wolves. Uh, but you can react in two ways to that situation. You can fall apart, stagnate in your development, never regain that confidence, and now never be a top four defenseman the whole rest of your career. Or... You can battle, figure it out, come back the next year, and take a huge step. And he did the latter. He really could have gone either way. But I, I've got to give all the credit to McCabe in this situation and just being able to overcome adversity and overcome some really rough stretches last year. And now, really, I think that year of development was huge for him. It's way more than he would have gotten having a year or most of that year in the AHL. Because there's no way he would have done that and then have been ready to step into this kind of role this year. Um, and 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 then beyond that, like I said, I don't think I don't think Pesic being traded really opened up any additional ice time for um, for McCabe. But I think once Kulikov is back, if he's the defenseman we've seen with Florida, then it actually eases some of the pressure off of McCabe a little bit because now he's not the only competent left-handed defenseman on the team. So I think it was helpful for McCabe in, in that sense. Yeah. I like your assessment on that, Mark. Um, well, uh, let's see here. You know what I love about that Ottawa game on uh, Tuesday night there, Mark? That game, that game tying goal got taken away by a hatred player by Chris Neal running into, uh, Linus, um, Linus, uh, Anders Nielsen's, uh, glove on, uh, was it a, a Dion Phaneuf shot? I'm not sure, but uh, uh, I forget. But yeah, uh, was that that made me happy. I'm like, yes. That feels like the first challenge the Sabers have ever won. I just, <laughs> I just never expect them to win it, even though that looked like kind of the spirit of the rule. Uh, for it, it's for plays like that, but I didn't expect them to win it just because it's the Sabers, and I expect every call to go against them. Yeah, just like uh. Just like some of the Bills calls last Sunday too. It just it just it's a Buffalo thing. Yeah, well, the Bills actually got some help. I was shocked, you know, that uh, uh not having a pass interference call on Allen Robinson at the end of the game there. Yeah. That really made the difference and put the Jags in a tough fourth down position where whereas they could have converted that first down and who knows what happened from that point, but that was one time where the Bills actually got 
some some help at a at a really important juncture in the game but we're not used to seeing that typically it goes the other way 90 percent of the time it feels like <laughs> um i got another player to ask you about um a player that I thought's been struggling for a while, but maybe he's getting his uh, f- footing back and he's gonna get that first goal of the season. Evander Kane. Uh, I think his play, you know, obviously bringing Jack Eichel back is gonna elevate everyone around him on his lines play. But uh, I felt like he didn't have a bad game tonight. I mean, he's still making some questionable calls. He did make a couple terrible pass, no-look passes in the offensive zone tonight. But uh, I'm liking the way he, uh, he's he been looking the last couple games. Uh, just a little more confident. And uh, not that I don't think Evander Kane locks confidence. But uh, it's... Um, He's a player that we need to get rolling here. You know, I I wish, you know, I love seeing Jack score two goals tonight, but, man, it would have been nice to see Evander actually get a piece of that puck and put it in the net, and I initially thought that when when I first saw the play live tonight and uh, then seeing it go off of Zuccarello's skate. uh, It was, that's one player that needs to get going, and I'm thinking with Jack being back, maybe Evander really starts getting going soon. Yeah, yeah. It's, certainly he's very important in considering what he's being paid. The, the Sabres need him to be productive. I think the issue with him right now is he doesn't really have a niche in this lineup. And you've got, and this is how I think, this is how I think Bilesma looks at the roster, but you have your pairs, and then everybody else has to slot in around those pairs. So he looks at Eichel, Eichel and Reinhardt as being a pair. So somebody's going to play with them. Um, then you have Oposo and O'Reilly are a pair, so somebody's got to play with them. And then I guess probably they're looking at Felino, Larson, Gianta as a unit, but I think Larson and Gianta are the are the other pair. And then Felino has slid up the lineup here and there. Um, so Felino is one of those spare park guys that fits in one of those three spots. Gergensen's can be one of those. Um, obviously, Evander Kane can be one of those. So. Kane needs to find his footing with one of those pairs. And I haven't liked him with Eichel for the most part since the two started playing together at the beginning of last year. I think they were pretty good down the stretch last year. This was really the the line that stuck together down the stretch, Kane, Eichel, and Reinhardt. But I really haven't liked the Kane-Eichel dynamic uh, because I think the puck – Kane wants the puck on his stick – Whereas you want the puck on Eichel's stick as much as possible. And that's why I've advocated, if possible, for Kane to be on a third line where he can be the focal point of that line and the puck can be on his stick a lot. Everybody else can crash the net around him. Like I almost think that if you were constructing this roster, you would want Kane to be with Larson and Gianta and Felino with the way he's been playing for most of this year would be the winger on or would be a winger on one of those two other lines. Maybe you'd put him with O'Reilly and Oposo and you'd put Gergensen say with uh with Eichel and Reinhardt. Huh. Uh, I that's where I think his niche is in the lineup. I I don't know if they'll go that route, uh but I don't know if Kane is ever going to really click with either of these with either of these top 6 lines. Well, um let me ask you something because it's something I was thinking about earlier in the later in the game tonight. Um, they moved Gergesons up with with uh, Oposo and O'Reilly. Um, 
maybe Marcus maybe Marcus could jump on the, the Jack Reinhardt line too. I mean, he brings the intensity. He you know he definitely would be forcing pucks out if uh, for checking into the zone and forcing pucks and giving Eichel and Reinhardt chances to intercept pucks when they're when the pucks being moved out of the offensive zone. Uh, I I really want to find a place for Gergesons on this lineup, and we've talked about it before, but it hasn't been good. And I, you know, sitting on the fourth line with Grant and Molson isn't going to be helping them. I mean, granted, Molson's getting moved up in that spot that we're talking about right now, and William Carrier is there too. So, like you said, the the pairs. Can we can we get a unit with Oposo and O'Reilly? Well, I I think switching kind of what I just said, having Gergensen's be the one with, with O'Reilly and Oposo and then having Felino be in the top line, that's that would be perfectly valid too, because I think Felino really does complement Eichel and Reinhardt quite well. He doesn't need the puck on his stick. He's gonna forecheck, he's gonna crash the net. That's kind of what you want out of the left winger on that line. I think that's the whole reasoning behind having Kane on that line. That's what they think he's gonna bring. Um but it would be great to see, like you said, Gergensen's be able to slot somewhere in this top nine and not be relegated to the fourth line. And I thought he looked quite good in the third period of this game after he was moved up. He was yeah. noticeable on the forecheck. He's a good puck possession player, which they don't have. They don't necessarily have a lot of consistently good puck possession players on this team. Um, so I think he should have a role in the top nine. It's it's wasting him having him on the fourth line. Um but we'll see if we'll see if that's going to be how it is moving forward. And if now William Carrier is kind of the odd man out and ends up back on the fourth line, it looked like in the third period that's the way things were trending. I did not see much of 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 Will Carrier at all. No, no, and you know you gotta give you gotta give it to him. He's but he he's done. I think he's exceeded our expectations in the last ten games. Let's say, but uh, it'd be interesting to see this roster work out with him on the fourth line. I I like him. I I I said last podcast I think he deserves the time he's been uh playing with O'Reilly and Oposo, but it just hasn't been gel in the last two games, in my opinion. Well and I, I certainly agree. I think that I think that Kerry is one of the top twelve forwards in this organization. So he deserves a spot somewhere. But I think ideally it's not going to be in the top nine because you're going to hope, assuming everybody's healthy, that Gergensen's is playing in your top nine. And then really, nope, there's not anybody else that's going to be dropping down out of out of the top nine. You know, you're going to have Gianta's going to be playing up there. Obviously, Kane and Felino are going to be playing up there. And then you have your four studs as well. Uh, but I think he's earned a spot. And I think he, like you said, he's exceeded anybody's expectations that they possibly could have had of him coming up and there's no problem with being on the fourth line. In fact, I'd, I'd love to have a fourth line that could be trusted to play more minutes. Uh, and I think a big thing, keeping this fourth line, this was a note I had, I wanted to make sure that we talked about was I think uh, the Derek Grant experiment should be, should come to an end. Ideally. I don't think he's an NHL player. Uh, he makes everybody around him worse. If you look at the statistics, terrible possession player, um, really him and him and Delorier are the two worst possession players this team has had all year. Delorier when he was healthy, of course. Uh, but I think as long as Derek Grant is the fourth line center, 
that line isn't going to be able to be trusted. So I wanted to get your opinion on him and, yeah. and, uh, you know, and the fourth line. I I like Derek Grant as a player, and I love seeing the these guys that have been in the AHL come up and play and make an impact on this team. But, yeah, I absolutely agree with you that uh, Grant, you know, he's a guy you can call up on and have him there if you need him. But he's not – he's made some good I've, – I've enjoyed some of his plays he's made – on the penalty kill the few times he's been out there and uh but he's not he's he's not a fourth line center and you know it almost makes me think about last season and think about um frick uh um david legwan Legwan. yes thank you mark uh missing him actually and i've thought this a few times in the year he's a he's a solid player you know second overall draft pick way back when when the dinosaurs roam the earth, but uh, <laughs> it's he—he's a—he's—he's uh, he's a fun. He, he was a great guy, and he—he he actually had good speed for an older guy. And Grant, I like the player. I like—I like the story, you know. So I'm biased to it. But yeah, the statistics will show that uh, he isn't really helping this team out too much right now. Yeah, and I actually back in training camp on this podcast made that same point about Leguan. I, I can't believe they didn't bring him back on a PTO. He didn't retire. I think he was still open to an opportunity. I think he would have been open to coming back to a team where, you know, he didn't play a ton of minutes or anything, but he had a consistent, reliable role. And I think he would have had every opportunity to win the fourth line center job. And I think it'd be great to have him as an option to be able to say, okay, yeah, Grant came out, had a very good offensive showing in training camp. He won the job to start, but he's not cutting it right now. Let's send him down, and now we've got David Legwand around as the 13th or 14th forward and able to step into the lineup. And I think I can't imagine him having fallen off too much since last year. And was he an incredibly valuable player? No, otherwise somebody else would have signed him. But I think David Legwand last year was far superior to what Derek Grant has been thus far this year. I think Legwand played a valuable role in the penalty kill at times last year, too. Uh, and that's something, you know, there's, there's a spot for everyone, every type of player on, the ro- on a roster in the NHL still. I don't care how much of a young man's game it is. It's, you know, knowledge of the game is going to help you further down the line than most things will, actually. And having – you see it with a guy that, you know, none of us really – I think, at least, none of us really like to talk about or be thrilled that he's skating, you know, around 20 minutes a game sometimes is Brian Gianta. But um, he knows the game. He 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 actually laid someone out behind the net today, and I was la- – I got a good chuckle about it. It's – uh. Gianta is, you know, good as gone next year. But he spent his time, and he, you know, as much as I might have complained about him in the past, we're, uh, I think we're lucky to have him on this roster. Yeah, and it's unfortunate with him. I think the reason why people complain or have complained about Gianta is because of the money he was being paid. And it's kind of tough to see that when a player's salary causes the expectations from the fan base to be far beyond what they would be otherwise. But unfortunately that's kind of how it works and you're paid a certain amount of money. You're expected to perform 
to that level? You know, would people be complaining about Matt Molson, especially this year? Would anybody be complaining about him if he wasn't making $5 million a year? And I don't think people would have been. It wouldn't have been a big disappointment for him for him last year and how much he struggled. But uh, I think that's where the, the, venom, the, the venom from the fan base toward Brian Gianta has come from. But down the stretch last year, that line was super important. May have been their most important line down the stretch last year. And Gianta's stepped right back in this year, Phil, in the same type of role as the veteran presence on the second and third line. Obviously, everybody healthy now. It's the third line again. But I certainly agree with you. He's been he's been valuable. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to his salary being off the books. I think he's going to retire because even if the Sabres were to offer another contract, it's not going to be $4.25 million. But – um, I think he'll be able to go out having having played his final season and been a productive, valuable member of an of an NHL team. He hasn't played so long that now he's a liability. Yeah. Um. And here, you know, speaking of Brian Giotta, tonight's game. Um. Well, let's go flashback to Ottawa. I don't think the third line with Felino, Larson, and Giotta had a very good game at all. Uh, I thought it was their worst game of the yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. To be honest, but they bounced right back tonight, and they had they. You could argue, you know, minus the third period with Eichel going off, and they they might have been the best line consistently all night tonight. Yeah, I thought they were great, and I made that same note. I thought that line really lives or dies by Johan Larson, in my opinion. And for yeah. whatever reason, he looked a step slow in that Ottawa game. He had a couple bad turnovers. You don't see that from him often, but really as he goes, that line goes. And that's that's how it works with centers a lot of the time. They're so important, such a focal point of their lines. But they came out tonight, like you said, and had a great game. I mean, a lot of a lot of intense forecheck pressure, which is great to see. And we haven't seen that consistently out of this team all year. And just skating, and then they they got a goal on that um, on that rush with Fleen ended up making that that great pass to Gianta. That was just a really fun sequence yeah, to watch. I was I was loving it. My girlfriend's looking at me like, man, just calm down a little bit, but I couldn't. Uh, you know, watching that puck go off of Felino's upper torso and it's going around the net, and then there's there's Gianta sitting right there, and Gio buries it home, and we're back in the game all of a sudden. It's it, it was a very exciting. Definitely, and that was a great shift by Jake McCabe too. Um, both both he and Felino, I thought, were were incredible in that sequence leading up to that goal. But that's what made this couple of games exciting. It wasn't just Jack Eichel coming back and being productive. Obviously, that was what we're most excited about because he's the, the franchise player. But other people stepped up too. Other players stepped up and played some of their best hockey of the season. So. That's why I'm I'm very excited right now after these two wins. And and I I want to ask you, Mark. Uh, I know we t- touched on this earlier, but how much is that involved with Jack Eichel coming back? I mean, seeing the guys play like this and seeing it, what what do you think? Well, like I talked like I talked about before with him having that alpha dog mentality. I think people respond to great leaders, and they respond to people that can perform at a high level. And if you can do both, so if you can set a good example, be a good leader and and perform at a very high level, it really it really can motivate you to play beyond how you normally would. Or you think about at any job, 
you know, somebody going above and beyond what they need to do or somebody being incredible at, at, at their job, they're going to lift you up. And I think you're far more likely to perform above your normal performance level. So, I mean, any of us, no matter what our job is, I think we can, we can relate to that to an extent, but I completely agree with you that it's not a coincidence that Eichel came back. He came back and played at such a high level and that you saw so many other players have some of their best games of the season. So I completely agree with you on that point. So we probably should, I don't know if we want to discuss goaltending a little bit. I discussed Anders Nielsen and I thought he struggled early on a little bit with rebound control. Wasn't, you know, wasn't quite as tight as he usually is in terms of, of controlling pucks. I might be being a little unfair that that one that got poked in by Nash that was tipped before it hit him. So I'm probably, probably being a little nitpicky. Yeah, well, you know, that puck, that puck was really underneath him basically. And no one tied Nash up. Like, you know, your defenseman should know. Don't don't let anyone get close to your goalie because you never know where that puck is. It's so small. It's bouncing all over the place. It's it's you know tie your guy up. I I I thought Nielsen was all right tonight. Was it his best game this year? Absolutely not. But I I still like seeing what what he brings to the table. I I think he's uh definitely a passable goalie and. I think he, you know, he's someone that's going to strive. Him and Robin Leonard are going to strive each other to be the best goalies they can be by this competing. But also, you know, they're both Swedes. They might, they might, they might have known each other for a while. I don't know their personal relationship, but I think that well, I think I'm, it's a healthy competition and not an unhealthy competition. Yeah, and I think you've got to have that unless you have one of the stud goaltenders in this league where you can ride him for 70 games in a year. Sabres don't have that with with Robin Leonard. Yeah. You know, he he's a number 1 goalie, but he's not one of the top 10 or top 15 at, at this position. So, to have a backup that you're able to maybe ride for a couple games if Leonard's just off um or where you can alternate them when neither's really stepping up and emerging. I think it is important. Um thankfully it looks like Leonard is healthy yeah uh that was kind of a scare uh, n- you know not that nielsen obviously hasn't played poorly or anything and if anything he's outplayed leonard thus far this year but you don't want to lose leonard because when he's gotten hurt in his career it's tended to be those have tended to be major injuries where he's missed months so i was a little bit concerned but thankfully it looks like he's fine yeah well, look at the and if you look at the save percentage tonight between the two goalies, we got uh, Henrik Lundqvist at .882 and Anders Nilsson at .880. So pretty, uh, pretty fair uh, save percentage between the two guys, pretty close. But Lundqvist definitely saw a lot more shots. Yeah, definitely. And the, the the Sabres had far more sustained pressure, I thought, in this game as well. Um, the Ottawa game was a little bit different. I don't think the, the, the Sabres had a pretty long lag in the third period there where they were being outshot. And I was, I was pretty worried that they were going to give up that lead. But um, this Rangers game, that second period... I felt like the Sabres significantly outplayed the Rangers and just bounces didn't really go their way, so they went into the third period down. But I never felt like that game was out of reach Yeah, uh, because the Sabres were getting chances and were testing Lundqvist, and it was kind of a matter of time. The first period was a little uh, slow for me. I I thought, uh, I thought 
I thought you know the shot the shots were around the same. I think it was nine for the Sabers and eleven for the Rangers after the first period. But I I just didn't. I was getting nervous about the game in the first period, having one lucky goal, and I don't have the time of possession numbers in front of me. But it definitely felt like the Rangers had the were controlling the puck in the first period, and the Sabers played lights out the, the second two periods, in my opinion. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I was I was also similarly worried after the first period. I thought the Rangers come out or came out much stronger. Um and you thought, no, this is a team. It's a good team. They're they're going to lock down the Sabres and that offensive output that they had in the Ottawa game is a mirage. But they came out in the second period, things really opened up kind of out of nowhere. Both teams were making mistakes defensively, which I know coaches hate, but it was fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, Sloppy. Bounces kind of just <laughs> Bounces went the the Rangers' way in that period, enabled them to get the lead, but the Sabres definitely had the better of them in the second period, and then the third period, overall, they they did what they had to do to go ahead. Yeah, no, and you look at look at the Corsi numbers too, and uh, you, you'll see it that Sabres were definitely uh, controlling the puck in that third period, and and you know really owning it. I mean, yeah, sure, the Rangers had their chances too, but. I think the Sabres definitely were showed that they were the better team tonight. And it's not just because of lucky bounce off of Zuccarello's skate. It's not. It's the team looked good and it was refreshing. I mean, maybe I'm just biased, but Yeah, definitely. I <clears throat> I was concerned about this matchup coming into it. Um I even though the Rangers aren't a divisional matchup I kind of have a little bit of hatred for them because I went to school with so many people from Long Island and they come up and they you know they're all Rangers fans for the most part some of them were Islanders fans but the Islanders were so bad for so long that I think most of them hopped over to the Rangers over time as long but as they're not Devils fans <laughs> nobody's Devils fans <laughs> uh but the there were quite a few Rangers fans in the crowd too. Um, so I thought that was kind of a cool atmosphere. It's nice to have rivalries with, with non-divisional teams. Uh, and I'm sure it was probably a lot of people similar to that situation. People from New York city and the surrounding area that have come up to Buffalo or come up to, to Western New York for work or whatever came out here for college and infiltrating the arena a little bit, but to come out on top of a good team like that was, was great. Uh, one-upping VZ. I hope Eichel had a couple you comments words, for him. You took the words out of my ma- mouth, Mark. I was just <laughs> just just wanting to go on the VZ. Uh, it was nice hearing the crowd boom. Uh, sometimes that might motivate a player. Sometimes that might frustrate a player. I like that they did it. And you know what? I'm not going to blame Jimmy VZ for going to New York. I Do I think it was the wrong move long-term? Yeah, I think the Sabres are going to be a better team down the stretch. I did not think the Rangers were even going to be... I didn't think the Rangers... I was not expecting them to be what they are so far this year. And uh, so when he made the move there, I was like, really? This is interesting. But uh, he's had a pretty good season this year. He uh, drew a penalty tonight on Franson. I think he might have had an assist. I'm, I'm not going to say he did for the sanctity of our show. Uh, he did have he one. Did? He had one on the Nash goal. Okay. Yep. So I guess I'm not wrong. But uh, uh, 
Yeah, he he's a talented player. He really is. I would have loved to see him come play on the left side of Jack Eichel. I think a lot of our answers would be, a lot of our prayers would have been answered there. But you know, they did go out and get Alexander Nylander, who hopefully some point will be the answer to Jack Eichel's left side. Yeah, hopefully as soon as next year, <clears throat> he's heated up a little bit in the AHL. But uh, who knows, really. I, there's still a lot of time left this year to see how his development goes. But yeah, I completely agree with you on VZ. I don't blame him for going to New York. I, I did a whole episode on this, obviously, before our time doing this together, but talking about um, how it made sense, I think, for VZ to go where he went, but it shows that he values things that just Buffalo can't offer. Uh, and there are certain guys that are going to value what Buffalo has to offer. You listen to all the things that Kyle Oposo said coming here this year, talking about um, you know where it's a great place to raise his family and that he likes the community feel of Buffalo. Um, I'm sure for some people the low cost of living is also very attractive as well. But I think for Jimmy Vesey, a guy coming straight out of college, you know, not married, doesn't have kids, obviously is valuing the the big city life over the things that Buffalo has to offer. And Buffalo's just gonna have to figure out what players out there on the open market value what Buffalo has to offer and really attack those kind of guys, you know, try to try to make as good of a pitch to them as possible. Well, you know, I'll tell you one player that does like what Buffalo has to offer. And I think you missed it earlier tonight, Mark. They had a little pregame special on MSG tonight about Jack Eichel and his up, his uh, upbringing and just him talking about his career really and his life of hockey. And uh, Jack Eichel said in this, in uh, this special tonight, the one of the best things about Buffalo is the blue collar, blue collar town. Something that he likes. Some you know people take hockey serious around here, even through thick and thin. They love their hockey just like Jack Eichel does, and he's not a flashy type of guy. He's just out to have fun and do what he loves, which is hockey. And hey, my hats off to him because that's that's how me and you are, I believe. And uh, and we you know maybe the finer things in the New York City life is Jimmy Vesey's things, but if that's what he wants, go for it. But not someone I want to sit around and have a beer with. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and that's the beauty of a league like this where you really have cities on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And I, I pull Buffalo in with a city like Winnipeg um, and where some guys, especially guys from smaller towns, uh, have been really drawn to Winnipeg and have taken discounts to stay there because I think they love the community feeling of that city and they love it. To, they love it's a good place to raise your family. It's a place that's hockey crazy. And that's really how Buffalo is too. Uh, and I, that flashed through my head. I didn't see that interview because like you had said, I missed the very beginning of this game because I was traveling back. I back at about, uh, you know, 620, 6.20 Central Time. So, you know, the game is about 10 minutes in at that point. Uh, but when Eichel was celebrating his first goal, that ran through my head. Like, he can be the biggest star in Buffalo. And he may already be the biggest star in Buffalo. You probably have to say Tyrod Taylor or LaShawn McCoy because the Bills are the bigger draw. But if you can make the Sabres into a contender or – dare I say it, win a Stanley Cup in Buffalo, you will be a legend in Buffalo forever. And you look at the, the French biggest, connection. The and biggest how, one. Those guys stayed in Buffalo. 
you know, those guys have those guys have continued to be a part of the Buffalo community since retiring. Um, and you look at a lot of the Bills players that somebody like Jim Kelly didn't want to come to Buffalo, finally begrudgingly came, and now might be the biggest face in the entire community. And he hasn't left. Thurman Thomas has stuck around. Um, Bruce Smith has stuck around largely. You know, it's it's pretty incredible when guys do come here, I think they, they fall in love with it. Yeah. It's, uh, it, you know, ha- living in us in an area like this is, uh, something I take advantage of every year Four different seasons, different things to do every season. I'm a sporadic person. I like to be out. I like to do something new. I get bored with stuff. You know, I want to do something different. And, uh, this, uh, Western New York has everything to offer for my lifestyle and I love living in this area yeah well, there's kind of like you said there, there's a lot to do outdoors and you can have a little bit of everything if you're a hunter um, a lot of hunting opportunities a lot of hiking opportunities uh, a lot of water sport types of opportunities you know there's water everywhere you have Lake Erie if you live up you know closer to Lake Ontario you can go to Lake Ontario um, you're close to several major cities where we're from we're within two and a half hours of Cleveland, within two and a half hours of Pittsburgh, within, you know, three hours, a little over three hours of Toronto. Uh, and then you've got Rochester and Syracuse, which are decent sized cities too. Not terribly far from Montreal, uh, New York, if you want to make the drive down there, six or seven hours. So yeah, there is a lot to, there is a lot to be said about Buffalo. Uh, one of the things that perturbs me the most moving from the area is how everybody just lumps in all of New York State into New York City, and I'm sure I'm sure you've had that experience oh, yeah. elsewhere as well. But trying to say that no, the rest of New York State and Western New York specifically is nothing like New York City, and I can say I, I can say Western New York is far more similar to Fargo, North Dakota, than it is to New York City. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I never even been to Fargo, um, <laughs> but the whole Midwest, it's far more, it's, it's kind of this interesting in between, between the Northeast, the Midwest, and with some Canadian influence as well. Um, so it's, it, it's really a unique area, unlike anywhere else in the country. Yeah. I think I would enjoy it out there. Um, but it was nice showing those city slickers tonight that, uh, blue collar Buffalo is playing hockey and was ready to be back at it. Uh, it's, it's huge, huge, two huge games for us. This, you know, I would have been happy before going into these games saying that we give, give me one when I'd have been happy, uh, and getting two regular, uh, regular time games without overtime wins without overtime win is just huge for this team and huge for its confidence. You know, two top four teams in the Eastern conference, we just beat after being in the bottom of the conference for a long time. Definitely, definitely. These were huge uh, to get kind of back into the thick of the race in the conference. Um, you beat, like I said at the opening of the show, two top four teams in the conference. So to beat good teams is obviously huge to, to build confidence moving forward. And then they've got another game coming up on Saturday against another team dun, dun, dun. Uh, that's ahead of them in the standings. Yeah, the, the Bruins. And those are always those are always fun games. I think. Yeah. That rivalry's not going anywhere. No. I'm a. 
I, I will say, though, I'm so excited for the next time we play the Leafs. Definitely, yeah, and I think that's that's going to be the big time rivalry. Yeah, moving forward, it was it, it had difficulty getting off the ground because of both Buffalo and Toronto being bad for several years in a row, um, and the Sabers continued to somehow own them over that time too. I don't really know how the Sabers managed to do that, but um, the Eichel versus Matthews show the the two top young American prospects. Uh, how close Buffalo and Toronto are. Both teams have a lot to be excited about. That's going to be a fun rivalry. Oh, yeah, for years to come. And uh, both teams are on the upside. Uh, seeing Toronto beat, I don't know, did you catch any of the Toronto, the Matthews versus McDavid game after the Sabres game Tuesday? I did not, actually. I had, I had meant to, but I ended up falling asleep pretty much right after the Sabres game on uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, I was uh, bartending, so I was kind of busy, so I didn't catch a whole lot of it. But uh, Toronto looks good, man. He, he, Mitch Marner, wow, that kid, that kid can play some hockey. Yeah, he's he's great, and he was, I think, written off. Maybe it's too strong of a term, but when he didn't step right into the NHL, people start to think, well, this is an, an elite prospect. But if you look at the numbers that he put up in the OHL. This is a guy that you had to be that you had to be scared of coming in, and I I love their selection of him when they picked him, and it's really paying off now. He went back to the OHL, got stronger, really prepared himself to to be a pro this year, and it's it's shown. It's it's paid dividends. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a that's a that's a scary team right there in Toronto. I mentioned that before, but if you're gonna it, you're going to talk about Austin Matthews and the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, even if it's Austin Matthews' team or not. But we got to talk about the the number two pick, too, uh, Patrick Laine. He's been absolutely lights out this season. Uh, I think, actually, I'd be giving him the rookie of the year if this season was over right now. Uh, you got any opinions on the youngster? Yeah, I've probably watched Winnipeg the second most uh, after – after Buffalo in terms of, you know, how, how much I've watched NHL teams and he's been very impressive. His shot is incredible. (laughs) That's already high level in the NHL. I mean, you can make an argument. He's got a top five shot already in the league. Uh, He he does remind me a lot of Ovechkin and he's similar in that he skates hard, doesn't back down from guys. Um, He's physical, but his high level skill is that shot, but he's also great at finding the the soft spot. And that's the difference between some guys have great shots and don't have a ton of opportunities to use it because they don't know how to find that sweet spot. But line is very good at finding that sweet spot. And he's kind of got that alpha dog mentality too. I was talking about that with Eichel, but it didn't phase him at all coming into the NHL. He came in, he's like, you know what? I'm a goal scorer. I'm going to score goals. And that's what he's done. And he, he he really hasn't struggled in that aspect whatsoever. Hasn't been snake bitten at all. I'm sure he'll probably go through some down stretches over the course of the year. But I agree with you that he's the rookie of the year right yeah. now. I, I I would expect Matthews to probably have some extremely hot stretches over the rest of the year. And there's still so much hockey to be played that it's impossible to tell how it's going to play yeah, out. The NHL is probably going to want him to very be impressive. the rookie of the year too. Just you know, I mean that's just my call. But well, yeah the 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 spotlight's going to be bigger on him in Toronto too. Yeah. So if it's close, 
I think just the fact of, you know, Matthews lifting Toronto out of, out of the cellar and, and him being in Toronto and the media being all over him. I think if it's close, basically the tie goes to Matthews, the tie goes to the Maple Leaf in, yeah. in most situations. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's great to see, it's great to have that kind of rookie influx to have, Guys come in, be able to step in and play at a high level right off the bat. And we were lucky enough to see it last year with uh, with McDavid and Eichel. I know that McDavid was hurt for a while, so we didn't get to really see his full impact for a while. But uh, hopefully this is the norm moving forward and more and more guys are able to step in and play at a high level right away at 18. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I'm you know I'm not also opposed to letting guys give give the guys the time. You know, give Sam Reinhart the year off, the year in the AHL to to work on his skills and get bigger. You know, you ask Alexander Nylander to come up this year, he's getting killed. You know, I I was explaining that to someone earlier today. They're like, well, what whatever happened to that guy? I'm like, well, he's in the AHL right now. He's not he's not necessarily impressing anyone right now in the like and it the AHL too much, but uh, he's going to be good when he's going to have his time. He's going to be good. I think he's going to be a good uh, partner for Jack. Is it next year? I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's optimistic to expect him to be able to step right in next year. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, uh, but I completely agree with you. There are typically only a couple guys in a given draft that I think are ready to step in and make an immediate impact. Uh, and it's, Obviously attractive, especially when you're a bad team, which teams picking near the top of the draft are the bad teams. Really? You want to be able to show off your, you know, your, your high picks and have them there for the fans, be able to draw them, draw them to watch these players that really are representative of a year of suffering. But I think for most players, it's best to, to go back to juniors and to, to have that year of development. I think they're taking the right path with Alex Nylander, I was against it from the beginning, him making the team. Some people were trying to push it, talking about, oh, you know, he can make a difference in the shootout and he wasn't, um, he's they can protect him. It. They can protect him at even strength, but I don't want to have to protect a guy to that extent. And I don't want a guy to get hurt. Yeah. And to be able to have him go down to the AHL, I know that there are risks of him getting hurt down there as well because that can be a pretty rough and tumble league. But I think that's what his brother did. And I think it was the right course for him as well. I don't think going back to the O would have been great for him. I don't think he had much more to learn. Yeah, Mississauga, um, no. <laughs> and then having him in Rochester, he's close. You're able to keep close tabs on him developmentally, whereas if you send him back to Sweden, yeah, that's a, that's a very good league. And I think he would have continued to develop, but you don't have the same developmental contact with him <laughs> as you do in Rochester. So. Yeah, and, I think that was the right path to take with yeah, him. Yeah, and like you said, his brother was sent down. Uh, didn't play till what the end of the year last year. Did he come up for a couple games? Yeah, yeah, he came up for probably the last twenty. And, I want to say it was about twenty games or something like that. Fifteen, twenty games, pretty much after the trade deadline. And he, he's been a bright spot on that team. He's leading the team in goals or power play. I know he's leading in power play goals. I'm not sure if he's leading in goals for the team but uh he's he's been a, a great player and a great asset to that team so far this year but enough about the god dang maple leafs and i know we've <laughs> talked about the, the maple leafs in their whole segment on this show we're not even playing them next i know i'm sorry um but what do you think about sam reinhardt in the, these last two games uh with jack being back how, how do you feel about his play of late 
Well, it's allowed him to settle in, certainly. I think uh, we discussed this, I believe, two podcasts ago, but talking about how I think Reinhardt may have been crumbling a little bit under the pressure of having to be a go-to player on his line. And now he can settle in and be the complimentary piece. And that's where he's at his best, at least right now. I hope in the future he can be more of a, you know, more of a focal point and doesn't necessarily have to be the second fiddle on a line. But I think I think he's played very well the last two games, and he may be the greatest beneficiary from Michael returning. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt, Mark. That's, I, I think you're absolutely right of him being the greatest. You say you might. I think he is. Uh, I can't. I love watching these guys play together. Uh, Sam just missed uh, Eichel on a pass earlier tonight. And I, he was it was in the neutral zone, and Eichel is coming shooting up the center of the ice, and Sam's coming into the boards, and all of a sudden you see the puck flying out towards the middle of the ice, and it just missed Eichel a little late, I think. Uh, I it just just knowing these guys, seeing these guys play together, and knowing that they're building chemistry, it's gonna be it's gonna be a beautiful thing for years to come. Hopefully, as long as the teams manage well, we. We'll be in a really good spot, you know. Yeah, I well, I think the hard part is over, and the hard part's getting that core into place. But now the challenge is how do you fill in around that core, and who are the who are the players that you want to make long term commitments to? Uh, what are you going to do with goaltender? Are you going to pay Robin Leonard after this year? And I'd be hard pressed to want to pay Leonard. I don't know what he'd be demanding. I know he's a restricted free agent, so you can probably get him on another bridge-type deal, probably. I, I doubt they'd be willing to make a long-term commitment to him, but um, now that work begins. Who are the other pieces? I think McCabe is looking like he may be a part of that core. I think you got five to well. six players in a core. When you're talking about your core, you know, five, maybe six. And uh, yeah. I think, you know, obviously Ryan O'Reilly, Kyle Poso, Sam Reinhart, Rasmus Rissalainen, Jack Eichel, and then if you want to add McCabe in there, after this season, let me see. Yeah, why not? Yeah, it's definitely those top five, and everybody else is a huge step below them. Uh, but that's the hard part is, is getting those core guys into place and being able to kind of luck out with getting somebody like Kyle Oposo on a fair deal where they didn't have to give up any assets for him. That was a that was a pretty big deal. Um, huge. And, yeah, something that we, we should praise Murray for as well. Uh, big fish. But – Really, if this team is going to be a real contender long-term, it's going to depend on how they cycle through all the non-core pieces. And Chicago Chicago Blackhawks aren't good just because they have their core in place. They're good because they continue to get picks, prospects that are able to step into their lineup, cheaper players by trading away those ancillary pieces over time. They do it every year. Players will take a pay cut um, to be good on a good team. Duncan Keith. Yep. Uh, Duncan yep. Keith. Brian Campbell yeah. was willing to do that this year on a, on a one-year deal going there. Uh, so th- they've done a great job of that, and I think that's ultimately what we want Buffalo to be. I think it's hard. It would be very hard to not be excited about this core, but – I'm still curious and wondering whether or not Murray can be the GM that takes his team to the Stanley Cup and keeps his team a contender long term because it's going to require tough decisions, require making smart trades, and I think in a lot of instances he hasn't made 
smart trades and he's taken on money that he shouldn't have that may hamper their ability to make certain moves. Moving moving um, uh asset smaller uh assets of younger players for bigger name players is what you're talking about, Mark? Well, I think it's going to be more moving in the other direction now um moving forward it's going to be yeah, you've got your core you're going to pay your core they still have to pay eichel and reinhardt but you know wristlinen's locked up long term o'reilly's locked up long term apostle's locked up long term um, and that's going to eat up a significant portion of your cap each year so you're gonna to have to figure out how do we allocate the rest of that money and a lot of, a lot of times there are going to be players that emerge that are going to become restricted free agents say and you may have to trade that player you may have to do like what chicago did with with brandon sod and they they traded him because they couldn't afford to pay him. He was a high-level player for them, um, but they were able to get a couple cheaper complementary pieces for their lineup. Artem Anisimov came back in that deal, um, and he's been huge for them. Uh, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to require those types of deals, I think. So it's not going to be – I don't think you're going to see any Ryan O'Reilly-type deals. They're going to be able to pool together multiple prospects and picks <coughs> and parlay it into a high-level player, but it's going to be finding – complimentary pieces yeah, and finding steals in the draft too uh panarin was huge for those guys in rookie of the year last year uh obviously benefited from playing with patrick kane uh but still well that's going to be somewhere where i want murray to look is signing free agents from the khl he seemed very thus far very averse to russians uh, but that's a market where there are high-level players coming out, and if you can come upon somebody like Panarin, where they didn't have to invest a draft pick in him, he was cheap, they're going to have to pay him, of course, if they want to keep him. I don't know if they're going to be able to afford him or not. Uh, but that's that's an area where they're going to have to find some steals too. Maybe find a, a undrafted college free agents as well. I know they tried, they've tried to go down that path a little yeah. bit. Casey Nelson was an example last year. Then they tried to... They tried to do the same with VZ this offseason, but uh, it'll be interesting. And there's not, there's really no way to know until it happens. Yeah. But we'll uh, we'll see. Well, I I have faith in uh, Murray. I, I I think I do at least. But you know, I'm not sold either. I just I I want to have faith in Murray. I should say. Well, I do too, and I, I like the way he interacts with the media. He's blunt, and that's likable to me. Yeah, and he's I'll a character. Everybody, everybody doesn't like him, but yeah, he's unique. You don't see players like him, and or uh, you don't see general managers like him, and especially comparing him to Darcy Regeer, who was <laughs> very straight-laced and held his cards so tight to the chest. But then now you have Murray, who you know is leaking stuff to the media constantly. That's how now the Sabres are one of the top rumor teams in in the entire NHL. Whereas before the Sabres would any move the Sabres made, there would never be a rumor about it beforehand. But how long were you hearing about Evander Kane, Tyler Myers rumors before that deal oh, yeah. actually went down? Uh, that never would have happened under Darcy Regeer. No, um, that's the only thing, you know. But that's the thing that you, that can scare you about Murray too. It's you know. Is uh, you know that asset could be his biggest flaw is trying to make a deal, the art of making a deal, and you know thinking too much about it and possibly making the wrong one. Yeah, yeah, or I mean, or divulging too much of your position. Whereas you know maybe in certain instances it's it's better to be smart about it because what if deals fall through 
and now your players have heard about their names being in trade rumors for weeks, but now they're still on your team, there could be a rift in, in relationships there between management and players. So it'll be interesting, I think, and it's all speculation at this point from our part. Yeah. So there's not too much we can say conclusively what? one way or the other about how Murray's going to do with this, but that's that's what I'm most interested in moving forward. What, what do you think about uh, Cam Fowler there? I know that's a name that's been thrown out a lot since around the draft, before the draft. And, uh, you know, Vander Kane's name's been getting thrown out a lot too. I'm not saying that that's exactly the deal, but you think Fowler, Fowler would be a, a piece that Murray's been trying to acquire still? I mean, they're still talking about. There's rumors are that there's still uh, trade talks going on for Fowler with multiple teams. Yeah, well, I certainly think that Fowler, that Murray's very interested in Fowler. Uh, I I just think that the the basically the asking price has been far too high and continues to be too high. And we've talked about this with trades. We talked about Dougie Hamilton uh, the other episode, and I said I don't think the Sabres have the pieces to make a deal for him. And I don't think the Sabres have the pieces to make a deal for Cam Fowler unless they're willing to give up Alex Nylander, but I don't think he's available. Um, I also don't want to move the 2017 first. Unless you know, unless you can make it lottery protected, but then there's no way Anaheim's going to do that because I why mean, why would they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, because that takes that takes away a lot of the upside out of the deal. Uh, so, and I don't want to trade the 2017 first, even if it was lottery protected at this point, because that could easily be. I you know I know we want to get excited right now, but still look at where this team is in the standings. And that easily could be the seventh, eighth, ninth pick yet again. Uh, yeah. So unless the price comes down on that, on that front, or unless Zemgis Gergensen's or somebody of that ilk <coughs> starts playing really well and the Ducks hold some sort of high value for him, I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. I think Murray's going to keep trying, but I don't know if it's going to happen this year. I would love to, I would love to see a guy like Fowler come in. But uh, you got to think, um, you know, Bogosian or someone, another defenseman's going too, you know. But they can't pick up Bogosian's contract, actually. So I will uh, take that comment out of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, well, that's the issue with making a deal with Anaheim. Yeah. Is Evander Kane, he, he can't really be considered no. an asset going to them because the whole reason why they'd be moving Fowler is to cut salary because they have – you know, an internal, they want to be at a certain level internally. They're not like the Sabres. They don't spend up to the cap every year. The Sabres have an unlimited budget, basically. What? You know, the only constraint is the salary cap because of how rich Pagula is. What, what, what about a uh, guy like uh, Gooley? What, what do you think if uh, Anaheim was interested in that? Uh, that's a tough one. I. That's why I asked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't call Gooley untouchable. But I would be very, very hesitant to move probably the only defensive prospect in this system yeah. that looks anywhere close to the NHL at this point. Now that there aren't other promising prospects in the system, um, you know, Will Borgen is somebody that comes to mind. He's actually from from the Fargo area. Really? Went to Moorhead. Yeah, Moorhead High School. Wow. But cool. I think I think he's got a lot of upside moving forward, but he's still so far from actually 
being in the conversation of signing, let alone playing in the pros, it would take a real sweetheart deal for me to want to move Gooley. And I think having Gooley on an entry-level deal when this team's going to be struggling with the cap, you know, we're already struggling with the cap this year. Think about when they've got to pay Eichel and Reinhardt. I think Gooley being able to come in on an entry-level deal is going to be huge. So I think I would really resist that. Yeah, me too. Uh, Me too. I just wanted to throw a tough one at you. Yeah, and that's a good question. I don't think many people have thrown it out there. They've thought more of the the the, the Nylander aspect and whether or not he'd be available in a deal. But I think both of those two guys, unless you're going to knock the socks off of the Sabres, neither of them are going to be available. Yeah. Uh, because I think they're going to be so valuable on those entry-level deals when it's all said and done. Yeah, you know, we got... We we got some we got some good players in the farm system. Uh, hopefully that will hopefully we can address the guys around our core with some of these kids. Uh, I know we don't have a whole lot of them, but you think of an Asplund, you think of a Gooley. Um, we we Cliff Poo has looked great so far this year. Yeah, too. he's the, killing the 2006, it. The 2016 draft looks like it could be. Um, you know, it should be Murray's best thus far. Um, I know if you're looking at Eichel or Reinhardt, obviously those are no-brainer picks. You can't really judge a draft class based on those guys. But in terms of you know the the mid and late round picks, I think this 2016 draft looks like it could be very fruitful. Yeah, you know they were um, experts were saying that Cliff Poo could be one of the biggest steals of the draft after the pick. So I immediately uh, didn't know much about the guy when it first happened, and I immediately looked him up, and I he's a player I've been excited about. Uh, it should be it should be interesting to see what he has to bring to the table in a couple of years from now. Definitely. Well, he was a he was a pick. So the London Knights, you know, are so consistently good in the OHL, and he played kind of a secondary role for them last year. Uh, but looked good in that secondary role. But then you saw coming into this year, he's going to move up in their lineup, going to play more of a more of a primary role. So I loved that pick, betting on a solid organization, a guy that's looked good in his role and is going to be given more minutes this year. And he's taken every advantage of it. So yeah, he, that's looking like a great pick as well. It's like, draft, it's uh, like drafting he, a front seven defensive player from Alabama. Yeah, yeah, the... The one difference with with the NHL and NFL is how, how much more you've got to project these guys yeah, out. It'd absolutely. be like you know drafting drafting a player after his freshman year at Alabama, a guy that barely played, and then you expect okay because all these guys are graduating now he's going to get a big chance next year. Um, but yeah, I I would say the London Knights are like the Alabama, uh, the the Alabama Crimson Tide of the OHL, just a, a class <coughs> organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they've shown they've shown a lot of excellence and promise in that program. Definitely, definitely. Um, so anywhere, anywhere else you want to talk about? Any other topics? Mm, I think we covered pretty much all of them. I uh, that I had written down here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if we want to talk any details about the Bruins. We pretty much went right into the Leafs. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> I was uh. I was just about to say everything that I have written down is uh, all about the Leafs we've covered. So we're good. <laughs> not that I had anything written down by the Leafs people. <laughs> well, for our listeners, that game will be at noon. 
So it's not going to be a night, uh, a rare afternoon Saturday game. It's fun. You, uh, you can get your uh, you can get your hockey fix early in the day, and if you uh, don't if you don't like the results, you can start boozing at five. So, <laughs> <laughs> and no one, you know, five o'clock somewhere on a Saturday. Definitely, and then you can sleep in late on Sunday because the Bills don't play till four. Yes. Yes, yeah, so so, big game. Big game for the Bills on Sunday. Uh, I think this game's going to show you what this team truly is on Sunday. For you know, actually for both teams, for Oakland and Buffalo, you know, there's some questions. You know, a lot of people want to make Oakland a hero story, but I'm not exactly ready to give it to them yet. Uh, and I'm not ready to. Yeah, say they're certainly not the as good as their nine and two record would indicate. The how many games have they won on the last possession? Yeah, two point conversions. I think they won two games this year on two point conversions at the end of the game, too. Like, yeah, you know, like gutsy call. They've been fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think that's why everyone's surrounding so much uh, love around them right now, and you know it's the Raiders. But uh, <laughs> just win, baby. Just win, uh, Al Davis. I'm gonna well, draft Darius Hayward Bay before Michael Crabtree. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the same draft. I don't know, but. Yeah, that was a terrible pick. Yeah, they had, yeah they had some they had some horrendous picks, but they've drafted really well recently. But yeah, their their defense isn't very good. They should be, and though. their offense has been able to bail them out a lot. Yeah, they've got talent. Yeah. Khalil Mack, obviously, we we know what he can do. Uh, Tuck, um, uh, they got who's the guy, the guy from Seattle there? Uh, they brought in too. Averill, not Averill. Uh, I can't remember defensive end, outside linebacker. They brought in from Seattle. Can't remember. Yeah, I'm not sure names are escaping me right now. Yeah. But it's the NFL. Screw Vegas. The NFL. This is a hockey podcast. <laughs> I know. Yeah, now we're going into Bill's territory. But Ooh. one last comment about that game. Um I think Vegas actually thinks the Bill thinks the Bills are gonna win that game. With the three point spread. Yeah, it looks like they're trying to entice people to bet on the Raiders. You know, I want to bet the house on the Raiders. With a three-point spread, with the Bills going across the country, yeah, you know, I, I want to take that bet, and I'm a Bills fan, so it seems like they're trying to entice people to to bet for the Raiders. And you know, and, and you know how the mob works, so you got their their arms wrapped around the NFL. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> There's certainly enough questions with the officiating that. Nothing would surprise me at this point. And I'm not taking shots at the mob here online, so no one take that personal, no, please. No. <laughs> Only shots at the NFL. Yes. The NFL is fair game. Yes, yeah, screw the NFL. <laughs> but uh, thank you, Sabres fans. Uh, if you made it this far on the podcast, we really appreciate it. Uh, been really enjoying doing these, and uh, we'll have some more to come. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually may be at the game on Monday in Washington, D.C. I'll be traveling out there for work, um, get, getting there on Sunday. I'm actually going to miss most of the Bills game as a result. Um, but if any of you are going to be at the Bill, or at the Sabres game on Monday, let us know. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mark Geis. Uh, G-E-I-S-E is how you spell my last name. Uh, so I'm hoping to see a lot of Sabres fans there. Cool. I know typically, typically we show up pretty well at – Capitals games. I haven't been to that arena yet, so that should be a good time. Well, that's news to me, Mark. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to. Uh, I'll definitely let you know how that how that arena is, and we, maybe we can do one Monday night or Tuesday. Yeah, potentially. Well, um, uh, yeah, I gotta 
I'll be working Monday and Tuesday, but uh, if you're up late, we can work it out. Yeah, I may be doing my bimodal sleep where I sleep from like 6 to 10 and then 3 to 7. That's been, yeah. I've been doing that far <laughs> too often recently. And then it leaves our perfect sweet spot hell, at you know hell. midnight to do the podcast. Hell, I might just have to hop on the Amtrak and uh, meet you down there and bring my, and we could just do a, a show together. In the oh, yeah, room. live show at the at the arena yeah yeah i don't think the nhl will be coming after us or anything so we should be all right i got i'll bring my we'll, we'll uh periscope it off my phone <laughs> yeah yeah i mean imagine me trying to bring a computer and a microphone in there i think i have a bomb in there <laughs> it's been in washington too of all places you know exactly Jeez. exactly yeah I, I don't know how feasible that is we'll have to hit a little bit bigger time before i think they'll let us do that we'll have to get some uh press credentials or something yeah that'd be cool but all right great show plenty of discussion and we're looking forward to talking to everybody soon yeah take it easy out there in sabers land